0: Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan was on the phone at the weekend urging Vladimir Putin to show restraint when dealing with this mutiny by the Wagner group of mercenaries. Erdogan is beginning his third term after a narrow re-election last month. He's playing peacemaker in Ukraine, but at home he grows more autocratic. Professor Ori Soltis of Georgetown University in Washington, D.C. is the biographer of the man who's become Turkey's opposition leader in exile, the Muslim cleric Fatullah Gulen.
1: And Ori Soltis has questions about Erdogan's re-election. In spite of the anticipatory conversations that uh, he was under threat, that he might not succeed in winning the election, I had no doubt that he would, because he controls all the mechanisms that go from who gets to vote to how the votes are counted so whatever the number of votes he actually got and i suspect they're far fewer than what the results apparently present we would have the results we have because he controls all of that he ended up with a
0: a 52 48 Mm -hmm. victory That is not the kind of result, though, that a dictator, that an autocrat looks for in an election if the election is rigged. That looks like a Western electoral result, very narrow.
1: Yes, exactly. And he's a very clever politician. He has been always. He has played his cards very effectively. After all, he started out as a champion, apparently, of the Turkish democracy. And at a certain point, commented that democracy is a train you've got to know when to get off. It appears much more legitimate that he has apparently won with 52%. If he had won with 80%, every Western eyebrow would be raised and doubt it, because that is the traditional way dictators like Putin or Mubarak or any of those characters represent their victories. But he never sweated the whole time. He was never nervous. And if he were as threatened, if his victory was as narrow as it appears, I think he would have been a lot more nervous going into things.
0: Yeah, most autocrats also want to send the message to the world that I have no viable opposition. Even allowing your opposition to say that he's got 48% of the vote, again, not something an autocrat would do. Erdogan is acknowledging that there is a very big minority against me.
1: Yes, although that minority is contrived of a series of different individuals who add up to some form of an opposition. I think what will be interesting is what now happens, whom he does and whom he does not persecute. The one who would have been his true competitor, the mayor of Istanbul, he managed to have arrested on completely absurd charges, and that took the wind out of the sails of the opposition very in a very significant way. Substantial bodies of Kurds did not actually get to vote because there were some glitches, apparently, in the electoral system. So it'll be interesting to see whether this man who has placed so, so many people in prison, what he will do now with the opposition that was apparently on the surface mounting a charge against his his full power.
0: Now, during the election campaign, there was an interesting moment that I'm sure tweaked your interest as a biographer, and we're going to discuss that in a moment. The opposition leader Kilis Derolu made a reference to Fethullah Gulen, who's a noted Turkish uh, thinker and Islamic scholar in exile in the United States. He said that President Erdogan had had a close relationship with Fethullah Gulen. Is that
1: true? That's a common misconception, and exaggeration. They were politically allied for a while, because Gülen's convictions are that Islam and democracy are very compatible, that in fact democracy is the most appropriate form of government for Muslims. And he saw Erdogan as having the same kind of perspective. So, together we could work to make Turkey to reclaim its Islamic identity without causing it to lose its democratic identity. But it's clear that Gulen was deceived by Erdogan, but they were never tight, they were never close friends. They were politically allied for a while, and when it became convenient for Erdogan, and in a certain sense necessary, he turned on Gulen, and he turned on Gulen because Gulen has a following, has respect, he turned on Gulen because Gulen is genuinely a pious Muslim, and Erdogan has played the card of being a pious Muslim, for public viewing.
0: Uh, yeah, although pious Muslims in Turkey seem to believe that he's a pious leader, he's certainly liberated Muslims to be demonstrative in their faith in a way that they were not for 70 years under the Ataturk
1: era. Absolutely correct. He, he has done that and as I said he's a very astute politician. He has played that card very effectively. He prays publicly which is something that is actually antithetical to what traditional pious Muslims think a pious Muslim should be and act. You don't exhibit publicly that kind of activity. He does. And yes, he has managed to convince many people as a consequence, conservative Muslims. He has a large following in conservative Turkish women. Um, Yeah, because he's been effective at that.
0: Ori, you have written this uh, new book, Between Thought and Action, an intellectual biography of Fatullah Gulen. Is Fatullah Gulen
1: an Islamist in some way? You'd have to be very broad, because typically, at least in the States, when we use the word Islamist, we're thinking of ISIS, we're thinking of the Taliban, we're thinking of individuals or groups whose interest it is in conquering the world according to their specific and particular vision of what Islam should be and everyone should succumb to that. That's never been Gulen's perspective. His perspective is not political, it's civic. His vision is how does Islam fit into the world, not how does Islam conquer the world. How do we live and work together to improve the world overall, all of us together, as opposed to how do we Muslims come to a point of domination over other denominations. So. In the common use of that term, I would never call them Islamist. I would call them a pious Muslim.
0: Does he seek, though, a certain integration, at least in Muslim-majority countries, between the religious and political systems?
1: Absolutely. Again, if I limit my, my response to what I perceive to be his vision for Turkey, Turkey would be a country that has Islam as its backbone, as it had for centuries, but a country in which not only different types of Muslims, because in many Muslim countries, if you're not a Shi or if you're not a Sunni, or if you're not this, you're not that, you're not comfortable, but also every conceivable other form of faith would also be comfortable, including, by the way, atheists. So the secularists whom Etatürk wanted to dominate the new Turkey so that he was oppressing people of Muslim faith, would also be welcome in the kind of Turkey that Yulen envisions. Mm -hmm
0: it's more than just a spiritual movement though gulen's movement the hizmet Mm -hmm. movement this by the way is also something that raises suspicion among its critics because gulen's movement has links in business it in turkey it had links uh, in the legal system it has a following among some powerful people this may have alarmed erdogan but it also raises questions among its critics doesn't it what does this movement actually seek to do
1: yeah so two things. One, as I became involved more with it, and it was often referred to as the Gülen Movement, I made the comment to members of it. i say, you calling it the Gülen Movement to American ears sounds like it's a cult. And they said, yes, he doesn't like it being called that. So gradually, that has been changed. It exchanged for the word Hizmet, which in Turkish means service. And that encapsulates what his teaching and his preaching is all about. It's about serving humanity. He identifies three issues, ignorance, poverty, and disagreements, violent disagreements, as really at the heart of what's not going right in the world. And as a consequence, his people all over the world have created schools, have created interfaith programs, so trying to solve the problem of ignorance, trying to solve the problem of poverty, trying to solve the problem of social dissonance. So as a consequence, there are people from all kinds of walks of life, as well as people who are Turkish, not Turkish, Muslim, not Muslim, Jews, Christians, Sikhs, who are one way or another engaged and involved with them, because ultimately what he's all about is not just thinking, but action. Altruistic, that's the word he uses all the time, altruistic action in an age
0: of increasing nationalism is Gulen's movement anti-nationalist?
1: Let me put it this way. A Sufi like Rumi, right, 13th century mystic and poet, is a dyed-in-the-wool Muslim, but he writes things like, I go into a church, a mosque, a synagogue, I see one altar. He's a universalist. There's no contradiction for him in being a universalist and being a dyed-in-the-wool, very intense Muslim. For Gulen, there's no contradiction between being a universalist and if you're a Turk, a Turkish nationalist. But it's not about Turkey. Since the early 90s, for the last 30 years, he came to realization it's not about Turkey, it's not about Muslims, it's about the world. Cause we all swim together or we, or we all sink together. So in a fundamental way, he is anti-nationalist.
0: Professor Ori Soltis, his book is called Between Thought and Action, an intellectual biography of Fatula Gulen, and he was in Australia with the Affinity Foundation. Find more great ABC RN stories
1: that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.